Herald of Steel beckons. War on the horizon. Chaos reigns supreme. But who will save us? Beckons of the Herald of Steel is a 5th edition homebrew campaign. It is a high fantasy and old school flavored campaign run by me, the young Rognard, and my friends. Let's meet those friends now. I am Anthony Santiago, and I'm playing Norhill Hammerstone, Dwarven Fighter. I'm Jared, and I'll be playing Jarzak, the Orc Warlock. I'm Ryan, and I'm going to be playing Klika, the Goblin Sorcerer. I'm Veronica. I'll be playing Anton, the Human Cleric. While many prophecies are written, our story has yet to be completed. Follow us into adventure. Welcome back to the podcast. It is I, Grognard the Young, the Young Grognard, kicking you to the live with another episode of the Beckons of the Herald of Steel campaign. Okay, with the adventure, the Herald, and the final quest, perhaps final quest, the present. The party in the last quest did a whole bunch of stuff. I mean, we had kind of a little debate about which director would have done it. I said Michael Bay because it was the most showy, flashy thing. But, you know, after uh, infiltrating a lich's lair, doing some dark deeds with a dark evil doer, managing to infiltrate the magical sanctum of the Tome Guard, going through a weird trippy tunnel, finding out what death's like on a personal basis, and then, you know, dream hopping into a different dimension of time and space in order to, you know, give a soul to that which is soulless. The party have done quite a bit. Um, but the last we saw them, uh, they were sort of coming back from their little dream state um, where hobgoblin forms had just been absolutely terminated by the... Uh, that they had uh, dealt with on Stormblood's behalf. Um, and unfortunately for the party, the sensation they feel upon waking up or coming to, I suppose, is not the same cold, dark, wry feeling they felt before inside the sanctum of the Lich Unthrendil. And instead, the biting winds that sort of seem to nip and pull at everybody's hair, clothing, and cloaks, and everything like that, lend you the belief that you're no longer within the Lich's domain. And as you guys stir and sort of rise, you feel various levels of numbness and headaches as you realize, looking up, looking all around, that you yourselves are in something of a snowy, endless expanse, the far, far north of Firamore. At least one might assume. And as you guys look around and realize how empty this expanse is on the mountains, perhaps to the south, and all the snowy drifts and the wind and the blinding white of the sun above, it comes very apparent to you guys that uh, Thrundial kind of dropped you off before you woke up. And it seems like wherever it is that you are, all you have are the belongings that you packed with you, those that came back from the dream, I suppose a sense of friendship. But as the uh, wind whipping about, and you guys seem to start to come to and realize how cold it is, how far destitute your situation is, I need a perception check from everybody at disadvantage. Seven. Seven? Eight. Oh. Nine. 
I'm sure this won't be a problem. 16. Say 16. I got a Great. six. Ronnie, you were supposed to go first then. And then, <laughs> and then me. <laughs> oh. Anthony. Jarzak got a 16. Oh, okay, cool. Well, the 16, as everybody's sort of looking around, um, realizing the like hangover-esque headache that you guys are all sort of coming to grips with, um, Jarzak is able to see, looking up in the air above with the clouds overhead, uh, something of a strange form in the distance. Uh, flying in the skies above. Uh, its distance from you right now means that it looks almost to like the size of something like a large bird, but as it seems to carve through the clouds and fly overhead in your general direction, it's pretty hard to make out what actually it is. Uh, nightmarish haunting idea comes to mind that perhaps this is something of a flying predator, and realizing how much you guys are absolutely in the middle of nowhere, and it's hard to say how long you've been laying here. There could be any number of things haunting the party at this point. What would you guys like to do? Uh, seeing nowhere to take cover or anything, Norhill is going to pull out his weapon and shield, uh, plant his feet, and prepare for combat. All right. Yeah, do we else? have our equipment? I mean, for what it's worth, where's actually the only one who even noticed this thing? Everybody else is just face down in the snow, Wake it up. Pull yeah, up like that's, a baby. that's why I'm just asking if we have our stuff. Yeah. You do. You actually are completely fully equipped. And if anything, fully rested, too. Is it nighttime okay. or daytime? Nope. Broad daylight. The sun's out. Uh, okay. Um, so never mind what I said. Norhill's going to bundle himself more tightly into his winter cloak. Oh. Anton will immediately have a sour look on his face. Charles, I'll no, just I train up. I put you... Look, we have company. Okay, and now that everybody's looking, uh, could I get an investigate check from everybody? I know this is going to work out really good from my very intelligent cast of characters here. Is this also at disadvantage? No, I won't give you guys this one at disadvantage. Oh, I right, think Jared, you have to roll this one at disadvantage. <laughs> Wait, why? Why? He's very smart. He didn't do the last one at disadvantage. Yes, I did. I rolled twice. Did you? I only saw one of them come up. Good uh, and gooder. Yeah, I only see one in the log too. Okay. Um, go I got four. Well, nice. <laughs> I I still got eight. So hell yeah. Does At least have... you're staying consistent. I'm still. I'm just going down. Does it have to be an investigator? Can it be like I got, a I got twenty. Um, I I will give you the nature check if you'd like to. Um, I think that that would make sense since you're the one who saw it, does, it and have it, seen it, it for longer it, than everybody else. It doesn't matter, not one. <laughs> oh, sick. Fucking awesome. And then what did you get, Ronnie? Twenty. A twenty. 20. <laughs> Very good. So as everybody's looking up at the sun and piercing their eyes and they're like, Jesus, well, I can't see anything. Anton's the only one who's just like, I've stared at the sun every day of my life. And is just <laughs> completely and utterly incapable of being sun blinded. And stares right up there, looks through the clouds, and sees the reflective coloring of sort of a rusty silver color upon this flying beast. And as everybody looks longer, they realize the wings and tail of this beast uh, sort of betray the fact that it must be Dracon. It looks like it might be a dragon. Most likely a silver dragon. And I look to Klika immediately, I'm like, did we... Recently, have an encounter with a baby silver dragon. Oh, um, yeah. 
We met uh, Sarah Celeste. So, but that well, yeah, that was a silver dragon baby, wormling creature. Hopefully, but this one is just friendly. I kind of Cleek is not really sure how we got. Actually, Cleek is not really sure where here is. Um, can I get another perception check from everybody? As it seems that this draconic figure in the distance is closing ground fast, but not super fast. But there's some time oh, you shit. have to prepare. It was my turn to get a four. I got a 15 this time. I got another nat one, so. <laughs> okay, so what did everybody get apart from the nat one and four? I get, okay, what? so I guess, Anton, what did you get? I got 20. 20? I, got, yeah. I got a 15. So as everybody's I... sort of getting their bearings and looking around and assessing the situation, uh, Jarzak seems to be blinded by the sun and can't really remember how to not close his eyes. Um, everybody else, however, um, or I guess not Norhill, because Norhill is bundled up. Um, okay. I don't know why I'm having so much trouble with understanding the difference between four and two people here. So half of the group realize this as they look up at the dragon and sort of get their bearings that there is something of a trembling in the earth around you. And as you feel the trembling underfoot, you realize you may yourselves be on a frozen expanse of sea. And realizing this, there's a little bit of a tremor of terror amongst you guys, realizing something could be underneath you and feel everybody stirring about. And again, it could just be packed in snow on Earth. But as everybody takes the time to realize the, uh, the logistics of such a thing, something answers the question for you as about 300 or so feet away, who you guys is right, snow bursts open, and what you see is something of a gargantuan, insectoid-looking, centipedish, bluish-looking alien beast that seems to click its mandibles with the light, realizing four warm meals having uh, interrupted its snowy domain. And as this thing reaches up and lets out an otherworldly screech of clicks and clacks, um, yeah, what are you guys going to do? Kleega doesn't know that guy. Is this also a dragon? <laughs> All right. Uh, I could this get another time, nature check if somebody has it. Yeah. This time, Norhill's going to pull out his weapon and shield in preparation for combat. Okay. You're like, oh, it's just a silver dragon. Put the shield away. Like, <laughs> um, oh, wait a minute. An 11 on nature. Okay. This thing doesn't seem like any sort of naturally occurring critter. Uh, judging by its size. Uh, it'll probably swallow you guys whole rather than individually fight you guys. I think that's about what you would gauge from your understanding of the Wild Kingdom with that intelligence. <laughs> like, it's big enough. It probably won't chew. Oh, so we've got a chance. <laughs> um, so with that, uh, Jarzak's just gonna grab everyone and cast Fly. Very well. Let's roll initiative real quick for that one. I thought I see this going south. I can't even read the numbers well, on this new dice I'm using, so this is always really exciting. We're pretty close to the North Pole. The only direction that we can go is south. Uh, Jesus. I mean, assuming this world is uh, an enclosed sphere and not round like a table. Don't you worry about my, the dimensions of my world. <laughs> so long as the sun rises in the south and sets in the east, this planet is good as gold. This planet or... Perhaps flat disc constantly accelerating upward. 
Hey man, it's all planted if you let it be. So I heard 21 for initiative. What the hell else do we got? 15. 2 plus 5, 7. What? Okay, so it's going to go Jarzak, then me, and then Norhill, Klika, Anton. Okay. So Jarzak casts Fly with immense speed behind him, not even thinking twice about it, and all of a sudden everybody is graced with the ability to fly. Um, yeah. So since you um, cast the fly spell, you can also move, right? Yeah, and then Jarzak books it out of there. <laughs> just straight up. No, no, just not towards whatever's in the sky. <laughs> just not towards what's on the land, just away from both, if I can. Um. So now you can hear the dragon in the distance let out a terrifying roar. Um. Judging by this Hollerin in the sky, it goes on the endless expanse, um, but it seems so distant, so far away, as if, you know, somewhere completely different. Uh, unfortunately for you guys, the strange, icy centipede beast starts completely steamrolling towards you guys and manages to clear about 25% of the gap with its immense speed as it just, like a locomotive, just starts rudging towards you. And like, as it like does so, form? yeah, it's big, pink, and hairy. Um, so with that, <laughs> you notice as it starts treading, sort of like serpentine kind of motion, like the centipede that it is, you see tufts of snow on either of its sides, just kind of steaming and smoking away. And only by watching as you guys sort of flounder to get your flying bearings together, that the sides of this beast begin to glow orange. And as they do, melting away the snow as it's trudging towards you, steam just radiating from its form, it becomes painfully apparent that, yeah, it's probably going to swallow you, but you may be just, like, falling into an oven when it does so. Uh, doesn't look like this thing's a lot of fun to be next to. Now, with Norhill, it being your turn, what would you like to do? How far away is it? Uh, from you, be about 240. Uh, I'm going to stand up a little bit in front of the party. Uh, and take the dodge action. Wink on a fly? I mean, even with 60 feet of movement from fly, it's not going to get me that much closer. I mean, you dash, it's 120. I just didn't know you were going to fight this thing. Jarzak's clearly running. <laughs> that's that's why I was like, Jarzak is like, all right, everybody, let's get out of here. And Norville's like, I sit down. Oh, is that the is that the vibe for the rest of the party that we're going to run? Is divided from a quarter of the party. I'm really learning my fractions today. You are. So the green statistics really help out a lot. And Nor Norhill is going to flee 120 feet, often diagonally, like diagonally away from the beast. Okay. Uh, so now it goes to Klika. No, you didn't have to so sound so disgusted when you said it. Klika will. Head up it's the to... new mic. I put on the disgusted <laughs> voice mod. Yeah, Klinko will just head up, I guess. Maybe, sort of. Yeah, Klinko will start heading towards that silver dragon. What did you say it was doing? I know you mentioned something about it, and I just reading. Yeah, remember that disgusted voice tone that I used earlier? Anyway, um, yeah. seems to be screeching and roaring in the distance. Is it still heading towards us, or is it just sort of flying by? No, it's heading down towards you. All right, yeah. Click will move, fly towards it then. 
We'll see if it's a silver dragon or a white dragon. It's pretty tough to tell out here, so... You imagine if this thing (laughs) was just a very clever white dragon that realized one day... Anyway. Um, okay. So now Anton, last of the, uh, ducks to leave. Um... Anton's just gonna panic and just fly straight up. Fly straight down. (laughs) Bury himself in the snow. Oh yeah, and he just goes straight towards the sun. That's right. <laughs> that's we it's, can't it's, do the fizzy lifting it's, it's heading in the <laughs> northeast right now, so he's <laughs> flying pretty low to the ground. <laughs> yeah, right. Okay. Um. So now at the top of the round, it's Jarzak's turn again. Are you just gonna keep fleeing? Yeah. Okay. So we'll say you keep going another hundred and twenty. In the uh, opposite direction of all uh, strange, monstrous, frosty parties involved. Um, and now the dragon seems to bellow out in a language that Klika understands. I don't think anybody else has draconic, so I guess not. Um, the thing bellows out in draconic. It says, hold! Beyond that, big spooky centipede thing just keeps cruising over in your direction, uh, going to where, I guess, Anton has flown straight up. It's going to try to go <laughs> directly beneath you. Anyway, I don't think it's got that much of a vertical jump to it. All those legs gets tapped. (laughs) Um. Okay. So now we'll go to Norhill. Uh, Norhill is just going to keep fleeing in the same general direction that he's been going. Okay. Uh, Klika's going to keep going towards the dragon, and Anton's going to also just keep flying straight up. I get like Klika's will shout back at the dragon. Um, are you talking to like? All of us? Should we all stop moving? Or are you talking to... Do you know that guy? And click a voice to the centipede. <laughs> a voice booms back at a distance that's not super far away at this point, but far away enough that you have to strain to hear it. But the dragon yells back and says, I am mother of Ceracelis. I have come to protect you. Oh, 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 good. And Klika will shout over at Jarzak. Jarzak, we know, well, we don't know this dragon, but, like, we know a dragon that knows this dragon. And she says she's here to protect us. I need a, I'm going to need a listen check from Norhill and Jarzak, who have flown nearly, like, <laughs> 500 feet in the opposite direction from you. Yeah, with the whipping winds and everything, I think it's going to be almost impossible to hear Klika. Uh, Seventeen. Is that a disadvantage? Oh no. What? So what's a listen check? Oh, shut up! You know what? Okay, you fucking know it's perception. Okay, what? No, make an investigate check. Don't do that. Disadvantage Uh, perception. An eleven. Okay. Jarzak also wouldn't be as far because the first turn I had to cast fly, so I could only move sixty feet. But I don't know how much sixty feet would help. I was going to say, Klika's moving at max speed in the opposite direction from you guys. So, I mean, whereas Anton's perfectly in the middle, can hear everything just fine. So, what did uh, Norhill get on the uh, disadvantaged one? Well. Okay, so both of you can hear Klika yelling for you to stop. And sort of the bits and burbles of Klika yelling the information. You guys make out half the words and get the uh, inclination that the uh, this is good news and you shouldn't have to keep running away. 
at least from one of the two things here. The other one you should probably keep running from. Uh, Anton, having heard this pretty clearly, uh, what's your plan? I'm not going to run away, but I'm trying to make sure I'm out of range or whatever the hell that well, that critter is. So he's just going to give Cleek a nod, but try to get to like her distance. So he's hopefully out of distance or so whatever the hell that thing is down there. Okay. All right. So as long as nothing breaks uh, Jarzak's concentration, which the whipping winds themselves are definitely threatening to your concentration, but because you're flying in the air with absolutely nothing to worry about crashing into or anything, ranged attacks or anything like that, I'd say you're pretty much okay. Okay? But um, if the goal now is for everybody just to fly back to the dragon, then you guys can definitely do so. Sounds about right. Yeah. Jarzak, use your gauntlet right. to talk to the big bug beneath us. Yeah, true. I'll do that instead. <laughs> <laughs> what exactly are you going to try to tell this? No, thing? I'm. I'm not. I'm not. Definitely not doing that. Her backwards diet. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's. I'm pretty sure. It, like it doesn't care. It'll melt all the metal we have anyway. <laughs> Just a giant Remoraz rust monster. That sounds like an awful encounter. All it does is just decay metal instead of have the heat metal ability. That's kind of hilarious, and that's actually a pretty sweet monster right there. Anyway, so the party fly back to the dragon, and the dragon flying in space uh, above the ground where the uh, strange giant buggo monster is. The giant centipede beast seems to, at this point, realizing the futility of its actions and sees a dragon show up, just sort of circles back around and dives back under the snow carving its way in with great ease, like a knife through hot butter. Or hot knife through butter. Never really understood that one. Um, butter. What does that I mean? Mean, um, I mean, if the butter's hot, it works the same, so... It's like a hot yeah, but... ice cream scoop <laughs> and ice cream. Like you say... <laughs> My God. <laughs> <laughs> this is the last quest. We're allowed to talk about butter. This is the butter cast now. We're just... Butter it's cast like... another spell. <laughs> It's just, it's like a hot ice cream scoop and ice cream. <laughs> yeah, let's just come up with, with other hot metals and foods that can get cut by them easily. <laughs> it's a thing! It's a legit thing! Well, yes, it's scoop. a thing. Anyway, no, we're not talking about scooping ice cream right now, okay? Yeah, so it's like a hot knife and ice cream cake. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yes, right, like a hot knife. Or like a or like a warm fork into an ice cube. I oh, I don't know if that works. <laughs> Time to go figure it out. I mean, I'm willing to give up this campaign for the uh, sake of science and hot metal with uh, frozen liquids. Anyway, so as you guys float alongside the dragon, the dragon in all of its majestic glory floats around you guys, sort of circling you as you get closer. And the thing introduces itself, calling itself Titiri, Titiri Oryx, and it says. And it is Mother Saracillus. Silver Dragon you had saved long before. Oh, All right. well, I guess that well, doesn't matter. You guys are like, you know, we've I met too many dragons. Yeah. have to write the name down so I don't lose it. Pleasure Listen, Titeriorix. Yeah, Dragon bellows again and says, I think you should be very grateful for having met my presence here. I had seen some sort of a disturbance in my land understanding what may be out there 
I assumed this was trickery of the lich. Tell me, am I wrong? Not, you're spot on, I think. You have guessed correctly. Um, I, so, does this mean that uh, Saracellus was able to make it back home safe? And giving sort of a, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Like a, uh, uh, a very honored nod of agreement. It says, Saracellus came back unharmed, but from what the Frost Giants had done to her. For this you have my thanks, and for this you understand why I will not punish you for what you have possibly done with the Lich. Speak now. Are you enemies of the Lich, or allies? Kind we of... have an understanding born of convenience. We're business partners. That's kind of what's going on there. <laughs> and our transaction has ended. Transaction? <laughs> Transaction contract, whatever it is. Our business agreement is over. Well, that the the Silver Dragon in all of its haughty glory says there is no middle ground with a being of such evil as the Lich. You are either allies or enemies. Speak now. Which is it? Uh, it was just the lesser of two evils. Well, that the dragon sniffs at the air with a very pretentious uh, presence to it. But, um, well, we're, we're not going to probably ever see them again. So I guess it's okay to say that we're now enemies. I don't think we'll ever be welcomed back. With that, Naitiri sort of flies again, fluttering about you guys, giving off huge gusts of wind as it does, and says, again, it were not for what you had done. For my own child. It is likely that I would have attacked you all for even admitting these things. I cannot live in such a domain with those who do dealings with purest of evil. From what I understand, times are changing, and things are not always as they seem here. Swear to me this. Pledge me an oath. You shall never have any sort of peaceful dealings with that lich ever again. Right, okay. You have my word. What is with everyone in this campaign having like some weird domination thing going on with our characters, man? This is a little <laughs> bit much. We've made a lot of dragon oaths. We just made a lot of oaths in general. Like, what the fuck? People I have a lot know. of strong feelings. None of these guys could just trust I'm anyone. Just saying. To make the ultimate promise. Like, what the fuck? Just trust us. My God. Would you like to say that uh, in in no, your actual character voice, there, the, Anton? No, no. A little chilly and snowy wrong. out. No, that's your just animosity wrong. coming out. <laughs> no, come on. This is all. Uh, this is all totally canon. It's snowy and cold out. You woke up in the snowbank. Yeah, he is. This is perfectly already man. Go ahead. I mean, that sounds like something Anton would say in the snow. I'm not trying to dunk on you right now. That that feels like something Anton might actually talk about. Well, Anton just gonna look at you and say, "I would agree," but the amount of oaths we've been tied to already has become a bit burdensome. Is trust not enough? And with that, the silver, the silver dragon looks down at you from its massive form and says, I can understand 
it is true, this is a matter of lesser of two evils. Perhaps I am too hasty in my desire for you to promise me such things. But from my perspective, ultimate evil rests outside of my domain. I do not have at least a promise. What am I to have? You all arrived here in my domain out of absolutely nowhere and tell me you have had dealings with that being. You're telling me I should trust you based on face value? Beyond what you have done for my daughter, I do not know you. I have never heard of you. Likewise. We only know you because of your daughter. I have no doubt of your domain in this. And trust me, I am not one to work with liches. But we're hoping that, at least I'm hoping, this brings peace to my hopefully not lost home. Well, that dragon just sort of floats there and says, so tell me, what is this quest that brought you to the lich's domain? We are to save the land of Emera. And I am to save my home. Glory, wait. How is, it that a, how is it that a master of death would be able to save your home? By giving someone who is soulless a soul. With that, the dragon just kind of floats there and just looks amongst the party members then looks back at you and says, perhaps this is truly a quest of great valor. One may be regarded as epic indeed. I'm not one to shy away from such quests, nor am I one to ever not listen to such a tale. I shall offer you this. Not only have I come here to protect those who may have been victim of the Remoraz, I am also willing to take you to nearest shelter. Will tell me your tale. I mean, that sounds pretty good. Once we get someplace safe, Klika can set up a teleportation circle and we'll get out of your hair either way. Or scales, I guess. Um, also, in all fairness, we should tell you that we did give the Lich uh, maybe a couple... Like, one artifact that might grant him wishes. So, just be aware of that sort of going forward. Like, uh, I'm going to let you roll persuasion check on this one. Oh, just to right. See how this one goes. Uh, don't worry, your sorcerer. Charisma's your strength. There's yes. no way that this could go wrong. Hold on. I'm sure telling the dragon... That an ultimate evil now has three wishes. I'm sure this will go over perfectly great. Look, I just didn't want this lady acting the fool one day, fucking around, and then finding out and being like, who could have known? Uh, I will say, I get to add double my proficiency bonus for charisma checks involving dragons. So... Nice. What's that charisma bonus? When those hyper situational abilities come up. Yeah. It's yeah, it's part of so it I'll get a plus eight to the roll. Oh shit. Okay. Whatever I get. And you said a persuasion check? Yeah. Originally I was gonna give you pers I was gonna give you advantage because you had saved her daughter, but at the same time, you also just admitted you were giving over the uh, ring of wishes to a lich. So it's like, you know. It was a necklace. I mean, sorry, not a ring. Don't, Don't worry, guys. All right, so you're sure I can't have advantage as well? 
Uh, I'm trying to think of the math of this one because I'm like curious. Willing to okay, I'll give you advantage on it simply because you guys not only are great adventurers and that Silver Dragon's bread and butter, but you also saved her dog. Okay, that's good because I would have gotten a nat one. I I got an eighteen. Nice, (laughs) excellent. So with that. The dragon has an absolutely abhorrent, mad look on its face. And it sort of like leans into you and says, You gave that master of undeath, the master of the Great Dominion, you gave it what? Um, a, a, like a circlet of wishes. Well, that's a really awesome was. dungeon master who would have taken a ring of wishes and transformed it into something totally different. That's really awesome. Actually, that's super cool. I'm actually not even that mad anymore. Anyway, <laughs> oh, nice! <the> thing... <laughs> Click high fives. Oh, that dragon says as it leans in and looks over at Norhill and sort of sniffs at the air again. Is this more of this lesser of two evils discussion you've all been feeding me? Well... In our defense, Sean, that regard, we did not know what the necklace was until it was already in the lich's hands. I was under the impression that it was merely a handsome gift from the elven queen of the Thalvir Wood. Dragon's taken aback by a reference to Queen Paleodeatrice, and with that sort of nod of deference, lowers its head again and says, The elvish queen knows what she's doing. I suppose I can trust her judgment. You say that you are doing this to save a land? To save all of the lands. Our enemy, the Herald of Steel, would tear down the realm of the immortals itself so that no being will ever rule over another uh, so long as anything lives. Well, except for him. Because, yeah. Right. Which also hate to hate to do a callback to you know last game, but freaky part little cryptic messages there from our our good pal Stormblood. Stormblood said that you would call him leader, but only until everything was equalized. So that whole thought uh, of him being in say. charge. Yeah, he might have an exit strategy. Anyway, um, the uh, that's not funny. Anyway, um. At this point, the dragon sort of has a uh, a very dark and dour look to its draconic face and looks up again and says, I suppose in that case I owe you a ride to safety. This is no place for people like yourselves, and I know a rocky outcropping with a safety cave. I can at least bring you there by nightfall. Very generous. Thank you. And so with that, we promise most of our other stories don't involve us giving powerful artifacts to questionable beings. All right. Good. As long as it has nothing to do with that son of a bitch, Cherish said the room ah, over there in the uh, <laughs> <laughs> Like, why do we have to meet all the bad dragons? <laughs> you know. All I've done in this campaign is showed you that diplomacy doesn't work. You can't just befriend the evildoers, because then everybody good is like, why didn't you fucking kill them? 
But we never buff friend the evildoers. It's more that the evildoers are so much are punching so far above our weight class that we have no other options than diplomacy. Come on, man. You guys, it's fifth edition. You could probably have killed the lich if you fucking wanted to. <laughs> I mean, are you pre pre wishes? Maybe. Well, hey, you know, that depends on whether it's a limited or an unlimited wish. A limited wish can only replicate uh, an effect roughly equal to a fifth level spell or lower. Man, I come from the old school, okay? I just go monkey's paw, that's it. That's the only thing. You want a thousand gold pieces? They're in your butt. Oh, no. I want to be king of the world? You're the only one left, dummy. How about that? Anyway, so all the spooky monkey's paw wishes aside... The uh, party are given the opportunity. Who's going to be flying shotgun on the dragon? Which two people are going to be riding on its back? And which two people are going to be in its front hands? Little, 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 little claws there in the front. I guess Aklika could also summon her draconic spirit for two hours. Um, and ride on that. And have someone else ride on that with her. That way no one has to get dragged in claws. This will be about six to eight hours of flight. Hmm, I can do it three times for, for six hours total. Jarsak will volunteer for a claw. He could use a nap. Just curled up in a little fetal position, sucking on his metal thumb. Rest How many were on the dragon's back? Okay. I'll take so another truck on. What? Vincent will take another spot on the back with with Norhill. Okay, and then uh, Plika, which dragon spirit are you summoning? Just tempted to try her mom again, but probably knows it's not gonna work right now, and doesn't want to fuck around too much. So she'll do um. Her good friend, the gold dragon. Tatharja. Yeah. Okay. So uh, we're going to have uh, opportunity for a little improv here for traveling. So my question is, would anybody, anybody got any plans for improvisational travel stuff? Hanson's just going to tell more stories, but I don't, I don't know necessarily about their adventures, but I think just the really thinking about how much closer he is at saving Glory Wake is telling the dragon about Glory Wake and his experience there and what he's looking forward to when he gets back with the haunting feeling it's not going to be the same when <laughs> he's trying to block that out. And Noriel's going to help okay. with the stories. And Darzak's just taking a nice power nap in the cloth. Uh, yeah. Uh, is Klika planning on doing any, uh, Rough riding while riding on the uh, dragon mount? Yeah, probably. Have some fun with it. Listen to the D&DMX. <laughs> Just okay. going to keep trying um, to get really close to Jarzak and annoy him while he's sleeping. Okay. So with that, the uh, silver dragon, Taitiri, tries to offer you as much condolences and comforts, understanding what may befall you or be before you here. Uh, hearing stories of the fall of Glory Wake and how things may be different, 
um, Titeri explains to you in a very draconic way that the world will always be littered with the ruins of those who were too strong to fail and realized their hubris, and explains that dragons too, masters of the domain, masters of magic, also suffer the curse of hubris, and that the fall of civilization is a natural course, and says that your love and your dedication to your people is what's most valuable about Glory Wake in the first place. And that even though the memories that that place holds for you are clearly, you know, important, and the place itself is important to so many, what's important is living on in the honor of the place, if it is truly gone. But it's also coming from a thing that's millennia old. And it's just kind of like, hey, it's not a big deal. I remember when Glory Wake was just one guy selling goats. <laughs> son of a bitch. That crooked goat selling son of a bitch. Anyway, actually... But, uh, if Klika has a chance, Klika would at, like to ask if um, Ty Theory, right? Ty Theory? Ty Theory? Ty Theory has uh, ever heard of uh, Fel Grizzit or Andor Mim Grabber? Mim Grabber? Addor, Olam, Grabber, yeah, right, that guy. Um, so with that, um, the dragon realizes uh, you asking for specific names is kind of strange. Um, but I don't want to say this. Dragon's almost taken aback by you specifically naming them, but realizing you also fly on a fucking dragon mount probably thinks this is like not outside the realms of, you know what I mean? Like, what's possible around here mm -hmm. for you to be doing that? Um, it specifically says that uh, the dragon one time, at one point in time, fought alongside the two of them, but says that it wouldn't want to bog you down with details of the wars of old, but basically explains that um, Ador Allongrabert was certainly a talkative one. He was always sort of uh, passive and sort of always lovingly in the corner of Felgrizid, and that Felgrizid was always brilliant, confident, and powerful with quite an air of confidence to her. Um, unfortunately, she explains that uh, Felgrizid Dor had departed, and the two of them had split for some reason, and of course, to dragons, you know hundreds of years is not really that long of a span of time, but she explains that from last she heard of Felgrizid, Felgrizid was uh, occupied with the Tome Guard. Klika just asked if uh, Felgrizid was the biggest. <laughs> um, grass dragons are not particularly well known for being <laughs> massive beings, but she, uh, the dragon explains that Felgrizid was certainly a fighter. Um, oftentimes resorting to magical means to turn the uh, tides of battle. So not... Didn't say she wasn't the biggest. <laughs> so when Kalik is here... That's all we need to know. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. Um, okay. Um, yeah, so after quite a few hours of travel, the dragon lands at this rocky outcropping, sort of a stretch of mountainous terrain, uh, and lands in sort of a cavernous outcropping up on the top uh, coming to a landing up here 
dragon uh, very gently allows Norhill and Anton down and drops Jarzak down on the ground as well. Um, basically says, if you guys would like some protection for the evening, the dragon may stay here with you. But judging from Klika saying that she's going to be using a fancy schmancy teleportation circle, the dragon sort of understands that time is of the essence. Um, well, we really do appreciate the offer, and thank you for everything you've done for us. Um, I know you didn't have to come out to help us when you found out we were in your domain. But, yeah, we really do have to get going, so Klika will probably get us all out of here. Um... Make sure, let your daughter know that we're all happy that she got home safe. Or that the dragon gives yet another deferential nod, and if ever a dragon could smile, it does. Um, I will need Minton to roll me a persuasion check at advantage. Okay. Advantage coming from Norhill. Ooh, I crit... On fire tonight. Good lord. Yeah. Go with that. The silver dragon looks over at Klika, Nanton, Norhill, and Jarzak. Jarzak's still in the fetal position on the ground, sucking on his thumb. Um, and says, I have lived a long time. I have fought many battles, and I have never once turned away from the evils of the world. If it is the case, this World-ending evil is as truly strong and as awful as you say it is. My place is not here in the frozen domain. It is amongst the good people who deserve protecting. And looks over at Anton Norhill specifically and says, Your homes, for all you have lost, and for all that may be lost in the future, I shall fly in your honor. The battle will be legendary. May we win peace for our efforts. Oh, that the dragon nods again and says, We shall find you again. The lands to the east, Emeroth. Perhaps I shall see you there soon. Oh, that the dragon, with two huge gusting winds of its wings, leaps up off the cliffside and takes flight into the starry sky, appearing amongst the starry reflections above. Bitter wind whips at the entrance to this cave here where you're all standing. You guys finally have a moment amongst yourselves to talk without wind chill and the biting cold of the north. Imagine how cold that would be. Flying at like 90 miles per hour with no wind chill, just on the back of a dragon. Having to hold on six straight hours. Like people like... complain about a flight across the country. Meanwhile, <laughs> you're like holding on to the plane. <laughs> In the age before technology, travel was much, much worse. I imagine Anton's like skin is like beet red, like just windburnt and sunburnt, and just both you guys' beards are just blasted back, yeah. frosted over. <laughs> yeah. Well, thankfully, I think that we are secure enough that we can have a full-on campfire. Well, if you guys want to get started on that, I'll get working on the teleportation circle. 
we're planning to go back to Avi, right? Because that's where we left the wave wraith. Oh my god, yeah. I mean, the party instructed the wave wraith to go back to Enten. That's the one. We're planning to go back to Enten, right? Because that's what we told the wave wraith. Yeah. That is where the seasons right. were when last we left them. Well, well, so this is probably it, right? Like, we don't. This will probably be the last time that we're like all four of us alone together like this. If everything goes according to plan, I imagine things will get pretty busy once we get back to Enten. We have a long campaign ahead of us. Someone should wake Jarzak up. I just feel... <laughs> He's just dead. Just frozen. <laughs> He's just laying there, just a frozen ice cube on me. Like, He's just a snowman. With wind tunnel. Directly... Yeah, right. He accidentally dropped Domro's luck. <laughs> it hit an orc on the head. And it... <laughs> Boop. Well, it's probably for the best anyway. That thing was too unpredictable. And thus goes the king of the orcs. <laughs> Snowman somewhere in a mountain peak in the middle of the <laughs> it's, it's what the orcs deserve, really. Yeah. Okay, so you do make the teleportation circle to uh, Enten? Yep. Okay. So, what does it look like when the telly goes off? Um... What time of day? It's kind of late at night, right? By the time we get oh, here, it's like midnight. Yeah. Yeah. So, I guess even as like Klika's making, you know, the circle in the ground with like uh, her chalk and everything, like you can, there's like certain uh, figures that she draws for everyone, and because of how late it is, and maybe the moon's like almost directly above us, like those figures are lighting up even before she's completely done drawing the circle and then by the time she finishes it's almost like the surface of the circle is reflecting the moon like it was a pool of water and like as soon as she finishes the spell it just completely fills up with moonlight and everybody's gone okay and so with that party instantaneously teleport to Enton. Uh, if I remember correctly, the teleportation circle um, was sort of in the town center and just kind of like in the middle of the road somewhere, if yep. I remember correctly. <laughs> That's yep, definitely naturally. where we put it. Just good old nightmare there. So as the party sort of teleport back, uh, sort of coming back to grips with your body having transferred through starlight, or I guess moonlight in this case, um, the party slowly gain their consciousness again and look about them to see Enten again in a ruin, functionally so. Doors that were broken off hinges and windows busted are sort of repaired with cloth and fabric and boards and rusty nails. People seem to be in their homes, though there are occasional guards wandering about with torches and with lanterns. As the party like just erupt into here and the wind around you guys knocks people near to the ground upon finishing the teleportation, people seeing you begin to yell out, They're back! They're back! They have returned! And, yeah. So, at this point, what would you guys like to do? 
is the dead of night. I guess. Have they I... rebuilt the inn again? <laughs> <laughs> well, the Ark kind of knocked it down last time. That was a very understandable mistake. They say the support beams are not to be used as weapons in wrestling matches. They're not just saying that to build up the fight. But, uh... <laughs> he literally brought the house down. I don't know what more people could want. Um. Yeah. So, what would people like to do? I feel like Anson just would want them to calm down and be like, "We'll take care of this in the morning. We need some sleep." Yeah, I mean, if it's like the middle of the night, I guess like click a wolf flat, maybe flag down one of the guards and just let them tell them to let the Council of Colors know that we're back and that we are going to be at the end. So naturally, you guys head over to the end. What did we call it? Obviously, you guys are Demon's Bane or? Yeah, wasn't it the... um... No, wasn't it succubus? Yeah, the succubuses, succubusy. Um, oh boy, Spain. <laughs> you cannot say suck your pussy on this podcast. Just did. I will go down. I will go down in glory on this. The old succubusy yeah, tavern. It's not like we have advertisers to worry about. Hell no, we don't. But yeah, but I, if you'd I know. like to advertise on the show, you can <laughs> suck my bussy. Oh boy. <laughs> anyway, I can't imagine why we haven't blown up at the show yet. Um, so with that. Do you remember what we or what you picked out for a name for the tavern, Anthony? Nope. Don't worry, they didn't remember either. In fact, they kind of forgot you guys existed. Well, we have been gone for a very long time. We'll meet somewhere in the middle and say that over time people thought the name was a little dirty and dark and spooky. So instead of calling it Norhill Succubusy, instead they called it the <laughs> Demon's Bane. <laughs> um, something like that. So as the party uh, head over to the tavern, um, full inside, who are just sort of the uh, I don't know how to describe them pleasantly, but the people who are at the bar well into the late hours of night who don't really know when to go home drunkenly in a stupor begin to shout out that you guys have returned and all of a sudden the tavern is sort of alight with people yelling about it people come from the upstairs down yelling from their rooms and whatnot talking about the heroes of amaroth have finally returned and as people begin to shout out and yell out a few dwarves come rushing out norhill's wife and kids come out um at this point uh you guys can see that uh caracol comes rushing out as well calith Ock. The click, the whole gang from busting out, rushing into here, and everybody seems to take great pleasure in hugging you warmly and welcoming you back home where you belong. So, my question is, what would you guys like to do now? Uh, Norhill greets all of his friends, family, and subjects uh, equally warmly. Um, does anyone know if the Wave Wraith has made it back yet? that uh, Caracol does in the usual calculated way that he always does everything. He says, yes, they arrived here not too long ago. Is Marge here or is it just Caracol? Just Caracol. That's not good. Mm. Don't ask about it. <laughs> I really don't want to, honestly. 
Come on, what's it gonna hurt? I won't cry. Yeah, click a will when um Kara calls comes around to give her a hug ask Um, where's Margay? And with that he gives very uncaracol look as he sort of tilts his head a little bit and he says Perhaps when we have meeting with council we can discuss that sort of thing. And his broken and pained expression says volume. Hate this for us. Okay, what about hmm? you didn't say Starbreeze. Is Starbreeze here? Well, Starbreeze is also not here. Oh man. Alright. Fuck is going to bed. Fuck this. How has we're going to rest, but are we still considered safe? Or what is can be safe? Sorry, who did you ask? In general. So the room going to be under attack again soon. The room sort of uh, has sort of shuffled and mixed opinions when you ask this question, as everybody sort of uh, shifts left to right with their answers, and finally, um, Caracol steps forward again and says, "We have reason to believe that we are safe where we are right now. Tintin, as a bastion for soldiers of Azkabellum." as well as the now joining us members of Glory Wake, Gorgareth, having joined our garrisons, this is the safest place in Northern Amroth to be. And with that, people start to nod, and you see a lot of very optimistic looks on people's faces. Um, but Caracol says, there is reason to believe the queen, the demon herself, is counting for a second strike. Unfortunately, it doesn't seem that we've had a lot of time to prepare ourselves, but with the power of the Iron Maelstrom, Queen is more than ready enough. Again, we shall speak of this at the council meeting. And then just gives a nod, hoping they even make it to the council meeting. It's not that bad. Yeah. All of a sudden, the Iron Maelstrom just shows up. Yeah, I mean, uh, that could happen, so... I was just really wondering, is he going to get, like, sleep and all? That's really it. He had a cranky old, cranky village man. He just wants to get to bed. They're willing to feed you and give you drinks. And a few of the people here who recognize the dour mood that Caracol sort of put on with the realisticism of everything going on people begin to shout out that we should all be happy and rejoice that you guys have come back with full fucking HP minus one soul. Um, and so at this point, with a couple level ups, if I'm not mistaken. So then people are very excited to have you guys return and offer drinks and meals. And Auk is uh, sort of suggesting that he's willing to do a uh, bit of a wrestling routine if you guys would like to be entertained at the wee hours of morning. Looking around, seeing all the bruised and half-beaten-to-death dwarves around here, um, giving a certain look of uh, not right now, has nobody to wrestle, and says that he's more than willing to shadow box and shadow wrestle if it is the case that you wish to watch it. Gigalith, um very silently puts a hand on his shoulder and tells him not to do so. <laughs> uh, 
Jarzak's gonna find Kick and activate his gauntlet so he can okay. talk to him. Uh, what's up, bud? Give me the uh rundown. Did I miss anything good? Oh, that not even skipping a fucking kick, fucking beat here. Kick tells you in uh no sort of flowery terms that a few of your friends had gotten into quite the disagreement with council and had gone above and beyond and tried to deal with the queen themselves. Suggesting that the only time to act was then, that it wasn't something they needed a military force for. Apparently, some people had some strong opinions about how long you guys would be taking and said that we couldn't rely on you people to be the saviors of the world. Argay apparently got into quite a heated dispute with Caracol and led a small group far to the north to Eagle Heart and never returned. Well, shit. Hey, I also love that Kick, at least Kick you didn't lose no problem faith. telling you this. <laughs> yeah, that's why, that's why I went right to the source. I was just straight shooting. I wasn't <laughs> sure if he was just going to be like, yeah, I got like three kills when you were gone. Like, I wasn't sure what he was going to tell me. <laughs> but... <laughs> He's got news. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, you know, and then Jarzak will just catch up. Tell him and a I little what, what Jarzak did and have a couple drinks. All right, cool. So word travels pretty fast, and the uh, key dog shows up here, um, as well as a few members of the crew, including Swiftbolt, um, cheering and hugging you guys as you've returned. Uh, a few people yell out Dolphin Boy when they see you. Um, and again, even though it is the wee hours of morning, people cheer to see your heroes and family return. Saint Anton in the flesh, as it were, as many people Thank come up God, to you, no. request blessings. A few people pray for <laughs> healings as well and ask you to heal their ailments, saying that even though the past battle was so long ago, a few of their own people have not fully recovered. It's as grateful to help. He will help. He's just like, when the fuck am I going to go to bed? <laughs> Comes in there with his beard sprayed past his head, just bright beat red, arthritic and depressed from being in the snow a few hours ago. <laughs> and he's just they're like, you need healing, St. Anton. And you're like, well, I need a fucking nap, so shut the hell up. Where's yeah. our fucking food in this place? Makes a mud pie for himself. Honestly. Yeah. Hero's feast. Test it for yourself. Um, okay. And so with that, the uh, evening, even though it is rejoiceful, it is very late, and most people willing to celebrate recognize the reality of what they're doing, and very sad, realistic sense of, like, urgency comes over everybody when they realize that rejoice of your return feels almost performative at this point, and as everybody understands the value of going to bed, and getting a good night's sleep to face whatever nightmare could face them tomorrow, it really sinks in. People are like, you know what I mean? It's kind of like that for he's a jolly good rookie scene in Spongebob when they like do it three times and then they just walk away. <laughs> That's kind of how it feels at this point where people are like very happy to see you clearly. But again, like the, you know, people missing the urgency in the room, the pain, it's very much so a, a feeling that has gotten worse here. So Everybody's free to go to bed unless you had any other business you wanted to attend to at two o'clock in the morning. Cleco might go track down uh, the painter at this point. 
Uh, Norhill will ask one of the sailors from the wave rave to, in the morning, in the morning, bring him the chest of gifts he brought back from Fearmore. Okay. Uh, sailor says that they've already unloaded all their wares in the warehouse and say that everything's ready to go. And you're really going to go track down that painter at two in the morning? I guess I won't. Have you no decency? Have you no decorum? Just, just bang on the door like, are you old fuck? Where's my painting? Yeah. <laughs> knock, uh, knock, bitches. Clink is back. Not happy to see you guys return. They're very much so over it already. Um. Anyway, okay. So with that, uh, morning light comes, and people take to the uh sort of arduous task of rebuilding the city as soon as the uh sun arises. Um. Yeah. Again, this is a functional settlement, but once you notice people getting sort of regimented meals and whatnot in the street, and people begging for extras, and people, you know, sort of portraying their plates. It becomes very apparent to you how much this place is war-torn. You know what I mean? And having survived a few sieges from unrelenting forces, Hinton is now hanging on. You know what I mean? Um, but you've gotten word from the council that you are supposed to meet them there as soon as physically possible in the morning. Ignore Norton is up and ready to go, probably decently before sunrise. Is anybody going to dawdle, or are you going to let Norhill wake you up and boss you around? Anson's just going to do his morning prayer. And then get ready at his own goddamn pace. (laughs) Anton, there's no snow here. You're okay. Anton does not keep military time. Thank you very much. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah. Jarzak, or Klinko will just make sure that Jarzak looks presentable. Jarzak had purposely tried to not look presentable. <laughs> you know, with that metal claw and looking like a bug man from outer space, you really never look truly presentable, you know? Presentation is a weird word when you think about it. But anyway, um, on display maybe. A bit. Anyway, so the uh, party head to the tower and are greeted warmly by the gnomish guards out here. Um, once you step foot to the teleportation chamber, make it to the top of the spire here, and you guys are greeted by the council colors. Find Aldo Felthistle, the halfling druidic guy there, um, as well as uh, a steward for the king of Azkabellum. Um, it seems as if the people here are sort of, I want to say, thrown together, but they're also basically a uh, their Jarzak and their way into this meeting as well. Um, upon seeing you guys, there are some warm glances and some warm mentions from the uh, members of the council, um, and everybody's happy to see you. But with that, one of the gnomes in the count- colored council says that this is a meeting of great importance. And the first thing they ask you is, you successfully completed your mission, meeting with the Lich, and did you find out any sort of a solution to the wartime problem? You gotta remember, last time you guys were here, Elvish Queen gave you guys a necklace and said, good fucking luck, maybe he knows what to do. And boy, did he. Boy, did you do some things when you were gone. Boy, did we do some stuff, and boy, did he know some stuff. Absolutely. (laughs) Facts. Indeed, we have been successful. Our mission has made the Herald of Steel 
nominally mortal once more, he can be oh, slain. Gasp. The gasp and terror hearing this. One of them yells out, How could you possibly do that? You were fooled by the lich. Um, or he'll sit down. Uh, <laughs> well, but, okay. first, we had to go over to the Tome Guard and find an ancient magic circle that the Lich had originally set up there. And then we used that to go to, what was it? The Plane of Death? Is that what it like was actually called? I, it's plain. I it, mean, it's, you know, many yeah. names. And then All we bad. used that to go to the Negative Plane. And then we met, um, I guess, the concept of death. And Jarzak gave up his soul. And then we took Jarzak's soul to the Lich. And the Lich sent us back in time. And then when we were back in time, in other people's bodies, we put Jarzak's soul into the Herald of Steel. Yes. Um, uh, we also fought a demon at one point. So, the the amount of ping-ponging people's eyeballs did during that explanation, as I looked amongst the group gathered here on your side. I don't know why story, people keep... keep letting Klika explain story beats, but it is my favorite ongoing meme in this campaign. <laughs> it's just like, oh, fuck. Klika's gonna explain it. Here we go. Well, you know, I imagine that it was, <laughs> and then Norhill took a pause to see if he could figure out how to explain this all textfully. <laughs> and then Klika just dove in. Yeah, always just shoots right from the hip. So people's eyeballs just ping pong back and forth every once in a while with your story as you're like, oh, then we did this. They're watching you. And then they look over and it's like, Jarzak doesn't have a soul anymore. And like, that's okay. Cause it didn't really hurt him or anything. And they look over at him and they look back at you and you're like, then we went through a dream, but it wasn't a dream. It was real, but it was actually the past. Not really right now. And again, they're just all so unfounded by what you have to tell them that by the time you finish the story, Aldo Felthistle just starts slapping his knee and cracking up, breaking the silence. And then he says, can you believe it? They did it. And yes. just everybody looks so confused by this. So if the Lich did trick us, he has a very good sense of humor. Because it was a lot of work. Anyway, think about it. Um, at this point, one of the council members again speaks up and he says, I believe their story. I think we have no reason but to believe their story. We are to survive and to succeed here. We must believe the story. What you're telling us is that he is now mortal. He can be slave. A good start. Very good start. The only problem is None of our war leaders, none of our scouts, no one has seen him. Tried to get close to the spire, but every day the spire grows stronger. The reverberations, they are dizzying to those who, who are around. For that reason, it's not something we're willing to send our people to deal with for long. But we have more important and pressing matters to deal with at this time. 
Unfortunately, some people have thought it wise to leave the safety of Enten to go confront the Queen, or as we've come to know, the demon, Kalaskai, themselves. I believe the demon herself trying to rebuild an army of sorts. Hopes taking us out. We believe that now, with you here, we have an opportunity. We could, perhaps, cut the head off a snake. As far as we know, the Herald only has one true ally out here. That is Kalaskai. If we can get rid of Kalaskai, we'll hold two vantage points. Then to the south, and Enten, one north of the mountains. This is asking a lot. I understand. But if we were to send an entire military in there, I'm sure the Iron Maelstrom would take notice, probably take advantage of our weakened state here. Our best is if we look, we are biding our time waiting for you to return and send you in. Hopefully, you may defeat her. And if you do, we may have taken out one of the two legs. We don't believe this is going to be an easy thing to accomplish. Again, you are our only hope. What say you? I believe your plan is sound. With the Herald of Steel seemingly missing from the field, and much of the Iron Maelstrom bound up in that horrid thing that he's built... Removing the only other commander swiftly seems like the best option. The others have gone there. We must make sure to keep faith that they are not lost. Mm. Though their so, mission was the height of folly, perhaps they've even seen some success. That you can tell a lot of people begin to look down at their feet Nobody really wants to make eye contact with you guys. Finally, one person speaks up above the din, and that is steward to the orcish throne, Agarak. Agarak speaks up and says, it is more than likely they have been slain. It is even more than likely that if they are slain, they have joined the ranks of the Iron Maelstrom. The sooner we let go of the weakness of hoping to save them, the better. They were foolish, and they were punished as such. Let this be a lesson, as he looks around the room. We should leave such acts to those who are prepared, such as yourselves. Who went? With that swift inhale, and an exhale, and they say, You vagabonds of the land, a few upstarts, and one of our chief halfling commanders, Margay, Hoscobble, and that one Starbreeze. I know they helped lead a bit of this. Beyond that, there were those they could trick into coming along with them. But Ipkin just looks disgusted and he looks to them and he says, How can you call them fools? There was no guarantee of our return. You blindly put your faith in us and nothing else. 
We could have returned too late, and you could have done nothing but waited. With that, one of the council members just chimes in and says, To act too hastily may have ruined all chances we would have had. If we were to act upon fear, would have already lost the battle. And then one of them sort of gestures towards Norhill and says, You understand battle of this degree. Fear is the weapon of the enemy. Do not act in fear, for if we do, we have lost. I mean, sometimes you just gotta have a little faith. Yeah, Anton. Fear Try does to... not drive people into battle. Fear drives people away. Yeah, there's nothing cowardly about doing what you think has to be done. The four of us wouldn't be here if we didn't allow ourselves to feel fear and still move forward. I'm afraid the council has the right of it. When you're when you're a soldier at war, you don't abandon your posting just because you think that you might be better spent elsewhere. Because there's a bigger there's a bigger plan at play and you can only see your tiny piece of it. McGrack nods again and says, I am not one to call Margay fearful. I think those who would charge into battle in such a way are brave. Being foolish and being brave, you can be both. And I think they are fools. I think they are brave fools. I think they are martyrs for our cause. For that, have my respect. They also have my ire, perhaps giving away any sort of secrets we may have. What you don't understand is Margay was not exactly just a soldier. Margay led forces. Margay knew information. And if it is the case, Margay is now upon a torturing rack, having her skin peeled back and salted. How long would she last before she told them our secret weaknesses? How long would she last before she gave away everything that we held dear? and all of our safety. How long would it take before she said that you guys were not here, and you had left, traveled continents away, thousands of miles? She's a fool, a brave one at that. Same to be said about Starbreeze. Well, I'll, I'll hold a hope that we'll find them. Well, that people just sort of nod silently. And finally, one of the council members looks over and says, Steward, Dalton, you hear any word of the King Theron? And the steward, who's currently inspecting his fingernails, looks up at everybody around the room and says, The king has no important information to give. He has no insight on this quest. He defers to the council's uh, whatever you want to do. Where is the king? And as somebody goes to speak up, Balthon, the steward, a plucky, young-looking individual, maybe no older than the age of 19 years old or so, with a mop of dark, curly hair. He sort of uh, chimes in again, and he says, King Theron is currently dealing with the pain of this war, a war he never asked for. He's currently in his chambers. I'm here to do the listening, and I'm here to give insight where I have to. As I recall, Master Steward, the king was interested 
in taking the throne of Amaroth now that the Garavar line has failed? Will his forces be prepared to take the city and hold it against the Iron Maelstrom once the once the Demon Queen has been dealt with? With that, he sort of stops looking at his nails and looks over at you with a very dirty look on his face, and he says, Dare you question the king of Azkabellum, the one who has pulled you out of the fire and given you an opportunity to hold your own throne? Pardon me, Lord Hammerstone. I don't believe this is your place to question him or how he's feeling. Stand down. You misunderstand my question. It is a matter of tactics, whether we ought to expect the king's forces uh, to flood into the streets as soon as the opening is made, or if other plans need to be laid ahead of him. If it is the case he is to assume the throne, then the plans are his own. You should respect that. When was the last time any of you guys saw the king? Uh, that One of the council members chimes in and says, They saw him last evening. Are they telling the truth? I do. Let's say. Like, uh, saw him yesterday at the 7 Eleven. Does, what's the 20? Are you saying you're rolling insight? Is that what you're saying? I rolled insight. I got 23. Yeah. I mean, they saw him last night. Said, I saw him outside of his quarters. He was getting something to eat. And he was speaking with his steward. And then he returned back to his room. And with that, the steward steps forward again and starts walking towards your quartet there and says, are you questioning something about the king himself? Why would he not be here? Why would we not have seen him? Like I said, he's currently dealing with strong bouts of emotions and trying to handle the stress of his people being in a war they didn't ask for. About this needs second judgment, asking beyond me. You shall respect the steward as much as you respect the king. It's kind of rude when you think about it to be like, he's in his room and you're like, when was the last time somebody saw him? Like, what the fuck are you asking that for? He's in his room. What do you mean? Like, I think he's dead. Like, hmm? you imagine just come to this meeting and just like, assuming that. Then Clink is the only one here who's not a politician. <laughs> but anyway. So that the whole council kind of goes quiet for a moment. With that, one of the gnomes again chimes in and says, so it is decided. You will go to castle and deal with as he takes a hard swallow palace guy. Yeah. Is that the case? Click no problems. Click us go get our letters back. You shall know when we have been successful, when we have raised our banners above the citadel. We shall hold it if we can, and if not, we will make our way out of the city and return here to Enton. And with that, Agarak sort of puts a hand upon Jarzak's shoulder and says, Banner of Gorgareth, nonetheless. 
and with a hefty nod sort of leans in and looks around the room again with a very, very proud look upon his face. So, what would you guys like to do now as the council begins to depart? Sneak into the king's chambers. Is that really what you want to do? Yes. Yes. Yeah, yes. I'm not going to do that. <laughs> uh, Norhill is going to uh, return to the demon's bane so that he can give out the gifts that he bought. And it's going to try to mingle with the all the soldiers from Glory Week to get more information on how it's going over there. Fair. Hopefully everyone's not dead. Eh, there's one guy left. Charizard's I'm gonna... so happy to see you. Charizard's going to go try to figure out where the fucking banner of Gorgareth. <laughs> Um, trying to remember what it looks like he's like one of these is Gorgaris he's looking at all the banners hanging outside I was home home for like a day after years I don't I kind of of imagine outside the demon's bane we've got all the all the different banners of the various lands because that seems to be kind of the meeting point so uh, let's see We'll say we'll do Norhills first because yours is easiest. So you got a bunch of the gifts and hand them around to the uh, dwarvish family in attendance, and everybody's very grateful for them. But your wife makes it very clear that she was very afraid this time that she may never see you again. She trusts that with your strength and your dedication, you will always come home in some way, shape, or form. You said this time it felt a little different. And it seems like everybody losing hope has done much to break everybody's spirit and belief. Well, the fresh air is upon us. Soon we will leave this tunnel of war behind and stand beneath the clear sunlight of peace. And I shall never need to leave your side or the side of my people ever again. Well, that he hugs you deeply as well as your child, as well as your father, and the whole lot of you are uh, very warmly snugged up and hugging when you realize a couple of large hands wrap around everybody, and Auk sort of gently rests his head upon yours and says, I love you. And I care for you as well, Hawk. With a nice smile, Yigkalath also pulls him away and says, why do you have to hug everybody you can around here? And Ox says, because you don't hug me. But with that, as they kind of dwindle off to the sides, your uh, father leans in and says, yeah, gotta be honest with you. Things haven't been the same around here. And I fear for the worst at times. Me and the rest of the uh, council looking over the Dwarvish responsibilities here are doing the best we can. But day after day, it becomes painfully apparent how much Ezkabellan flags are all about. And the few dwarves that are left getting outnumbered. If it is the case we are to fight in this war, be represented think it's important that you make your name known. You don't want to be a footnote in the history of what happens here. 
very well could have returned back to the halls. We could have hunkered down and done what we do best. I wouldn't ever question your judgment, but I want you to remember that you're keeping us all out here. I don't think it's vainglory. I don't think it's a terrible decision. I think you're thinking with your heart. I think you're right to do so. Of course, and it has been difficult. And my bones tell me that I should have done as you suggest. However, I do not intend our people to be forgotten in this war, nor in the world that comes after. And I do have plans. Plans that will require the wise counsel of everybody that I have gathered to me. With that, he says, as he sort of looks to your bag and he says, well, so long as you have the stein, you have the wisdom of countless generations of proud dwarves before you. Perhaps as all the wisdom you need. Indeed, and I shall not forget it. So Anton meets with the uh, warriors of Glory Wake. Yep. Okay. So the uh, basics of what you hear from them when they returned to Glory Wake uh, when they landed and headed straight here from the west to the east and said that they lost quite a lot of people fighting the Maelstrom on the way. Um, there was very clearly a divide formed between the warriors of Gorgareth and the warriors of Glorywake. At times, the orcs uh, did not exactly treat the, the people of Glorywake kindly and sort of were not forgiving of the fact that they had been, you know, captured and held in a cave for a, quite a few weeks there. Um, and so they said that it was a harrowing journey, but they said that following in your image, many miracles were performed to heal. Many miracles were performed to feed those who needed it. And carrying on the light in honor of the Illuminator, and carrying on the light in the honor of the light bearer, Saint Anton himself, they were able to hold together. So, what you're greeted by, the soldiers of Glory Wake sort of look to you as a living embodiment of what kept them going. I'm glad we were able to stay strong and keep hope. It shall remain. If I'm here, if I'm in another part of the world, another dimension, if it can happen, and I swear that I will make sure we all return home. They say, it is true that home is wherever the light falls upon us. That is a matter of faith. A matter of living. I do believe the men are ready to return home, starting again, working hard, and doing what we do best. Making bread. No, I'm just kidding. Um, hey, bread's boring. Why do you... Um, okay. Did you have any specific questions for them? How goes Sharice? I can't really hear you. Oh, sorry. what's his name? Real, real. Fuck. Fuck. Y'all seen Clary's? <laughs> Where's she at? She only twenty Clary? bucks. <laughs> um, real. I'll go surreal because I know Edson kind of just kind of dumped it on. I'm like, look at you in charge. The what? Um, unfortunately, they sort of look glum around one another, and they say that Surreal is no longer with them. 
What do you mean? He left a week ago in the confines of this place and nobody has seen him since. Apparently, he was having a lot of meetings at the local tavern and there had been a lot of talk of something of a very important duty that he must fulfill in the name of all that is good. This was in Gorivik or this was here? A word you just said, Ronnie. I'm going to be totally. Was this, did this happen in Glory Week or did this happen in Enton or somewhere else? No, this is in Enton. This was like a couple days ago. Oh. Well, sorry, a couple days ago. Like a couple weeks ago, right? Oh, no. Did he go to the goddamn castle too? He says, Who is watching over Glory Week? Who is standing that, in leadership? He puts a there hand on any- your shoulder and he says, There is no Glory Week. It has been destroyed. There are ruins and remnants. Even the cathedral is dragged to the ground. I say, St. Anton, we are glory way. The stones that have crumbled, dust that has kicked up, it's not glory way. We can rebuild it. But you have to understand. Anton may be our glory way for now. The road was our glory wake last week, weeks before that. Soon we will return and we will rebuild it. But for now, the light upon our backs, on our faces, and in our hearts is glory wake. You have shown how, us this. How many people are left? Like when he thinks of like what he what what the general population was before he left, like what's left? that he says uh, almost taken aback by the bluntness of your question but he says the orcs did well to protect us in many of these battles we have few hundred if not a thousand people but most of them are not fit for fighting and unfortunately getting here was its own arduous path many were barely eating enough drinking enough to survive but Again, the real and the rest called for miracles. And they fed, gave them water. Are, do they, are they like in their own little like district in Enton? Or, or like yeah. trying to yeah. get an idea of like what is left because this is kind of this is horrifying. This is horrifying. Um, God, this is horrifying because he, he, he hasn't seen it. The last he saw of his people was when they were locked in fucking whatever, and the, the fucking priest died. Like, that's the last he saw of it. Right. So, and to enter the uh, small district that the uh, people of Glory Wake have uh, been living in, you can see that many people have uh, taken to sort of making themselves useful. You can see the optimism on them as they're going to rebuild many of the buildings that were destroyed. Many people have taken to crafting and making new tools and things like that to help out. And as soon as you enter, people rush up to you, begin begin giving you deferential nods and sort of like praying before you and asking for healing and asking what the good word is of the Illuminator and, you know, giving praise to St. Anton having returned. People, I don't want to say flock to you, but like, you know, they look at you as as a beacon of hope seeing you walk and bless their homes and their streets now in this new strange place, 
they sort of ask you, what's good? Does he recognize anyone from when he was just a local priest? Does he, does he recognize anybody? Yeah, I mean, I suppose so. It'd be hard to say that you recognize, like, the majority of people, but because you're a local priest, I imagine you've seen quite a few of these people, but because it's been, like, almost literally a year of hardship, a lot of people look very different. But, like, every once in a while, you'll see somebody who, like, you know, at one point used to work with the rangers. At one point, you see somebody who was, you know, a baker or, like, a carpenter or whatever. So, like, you see strangers that you couldn't name, but you could say, like, oh, I think I saw you or your father or something like that. Think he's forcing a smile on his face right now because he's just getting a little bit overwhelmed by the just I don't think it ever occurred to him now how much this war has really affected what he cares about. I feel like he was just so distant from it. But he's kind of yeah, I don't I don't think he's gonna have an easy time processing this. I like to think that people rushing up to you offering you honorable like thanks and warmth and sort of like praying for you and giving you hugs and things like that. Like the people see you and like all of their hope carried them here has been confirmed that they put their faith in the right place and followed the illuminator to get here. You know what I mean? And seeing you at the end of the tunnel, they're like, Oh my God, I've been praying for safety and he has arrived. But he left them. I think he's just, uh, this, this is hard. Is it? Yeah. Because he's realized he was gone doing all these adventures. He left in the first place and his whole like world is like dead. And he, he can't really grasp the fact that things survived. He just sees like the terror of it. And he's just a little bit like, what did he do leaving a year ago? So if I'm getting this correct, and perhaps this is another way of looking at it, you're saying that this is very difficult for Anton because at one point in his life, he was comfortably able to write off Glory Wake as like a place. And after having yeah. realized his level of responsibility to Glory Wake, all of a sudden felt like, Shit, now I have to care about these people. And then when he realized how destitute their situation was and how awful things were, he's like, fuck, what am I supposed to do about this? And now being confronted with them as survivors, it's like the reality of like, they're not just gone. As awful as it sounds like, you don't get the comfort of knowing they've been obliterated and you can just forgive the loss and be like, oh, they're gone. That's awful. But I was always a loner to begin with. Instead, no, it's like, nope, they're still here. And they're like, Ee. and you're like, huh. Like it kind of reminds me of like Grim Adventures of Billy and Mandy when Billy had the spider and like didn't want the spider, but the spider loved oh, him. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, with his child. You, yeah, because like, wasn't Billy. that his kid? <laughs> yeah. I feel like it just never hit him how much he was like important to this place. I mean, he always was just like, there were other followers of the Illuminator, and there were other followers of nope. just protection and it, it, i think it just it didn't hit him in Gor gorgareth either he just kind of went there and all of a sudden they were calling him a saint and he's like what the fuck are you talking about let's just get you back True. home I think he just didn't have a full grasp of the situation now he's just he's being thrust into a very important role and he's not i don't want to say he's not ready for it but 
just the level of responsibility is making him panic a little bit because now it's starting to hit very hard. Yeah. Especially, I imagine, the uh, the moments where he gets slight little flashbacks being in the uh, the old you know realms of death there and have a little reminders of um being dropped off at the uh the at the church and seeing a red-headed father hugging you goodbye one last time you get this feeling as like children run up to and hug you as well and realizing like as much as this is your home like no it's not and like you've been around the world now you've been to Escabellum and you're like there's a pretty good chance you're just an orphan from a strange far off country. You have no like actual pull to glory wake beyond the church. And even then it's like, well, what is the church? If not just me, apparently I'm the only church member left of great import. I mean, sure. There's tons of priests, but like I'm the guy. So it's like, what is a glory wake? What is anything? Like I worship the fucking sun. I mean, I can, I can kind of see where Anton's coming from. I think the other thing that's turning him to, and he, I think he won't talk about this party, but he's still thinking about it, is just finally, like, the Herald of Steel was always kind of an enigma, just a figure of destruction, but now that he knows where the Herald of Steel came from, actually seeing um, his name? Stormblood. Stormblood, actually seeing him. And just seeing for what he wanted to do and the weight he carried, it just, I don't know, it just horrifies him that that became the destruction of what it is now. And I think just putting it all together is kind of throwing him for a loop because he's like, just. I feel like, am I Stormblood? No, Are we not I'm... all Stormblood? Not that it's. I'm Stormblood. Your Stormblood. You see, Wombo Blood. Um, it's just because everyone's like, I don't know. It's just thinking, what could have done this evil, and now he understands it, and he's just. But he feels like he doesn't at the same time. It's not the power of evil; it's the impossible pressure of the hopeless upon you. Yeah. <laughs> You're like, wait a minute. I get it now. All of a sudden, you just start stabbing people. Like, <laughs> I shall not be restrained. Oh, God, no. The no, snow no. cannot hold me. You just become the Herald of Snow. Become ultra-depressed Killer Anton. I mean, you think about that. Ice <laughs> Fireball you dropped was pretty lit, and you killed a bunch of innocents. I think Anton may become the new villain in the campaign. <laughs> Embrace the dark, cold depression that is your existence. Long story short, I think he's just, I think he's just gonna kind of take this all on with like, uh, like a forced, like positivity right now because he's just, he's just trying to grasp the whole situation as it is now, like the new reality of his, like this is it, this is Glory Wake. It's not a place on the map. Whatever was on the map is gone. So I think it's just. I don't know, and always we're thinking, he always called himself Anton of Glory Week. It's like, what does that mean? So. Um, he's just gonna okay. kind of just revert to, like, how would he help people as a priest? And just kind of go into, like, uh, just default mode of, like, that's what he would do. What would he do okay. as a priest? 
Fair enough. I mean, people are grateful for you feeding them, giving them water, healing them, and helping with all the things that you help with down there. And people hail you either way. But, um, yeah. Okay, so I guess my question now is, uh, Jarzak or Klico, which one of you guys wants to go now? Well, Klico got a stealth mission, so <laughs> take care of that. What was Jarzak going to do, by the way? Unless Jarzak was going to go with Klico. Uh, no, Jarzak. I I don't know if Click would even tell Jarzak, but uh, no, Jarzak was gonna go look for one of the Gorgareth banners that he could okay take, and he'll probably have a talk with the the second in command, the guy he left in charge of the orcs. Yeah, correct. Okay. So in that case, which one should we do first? The stealth mission or the banner? I feel like the banner might be a quick and easy one to get out of the way. Probably. Okay. So basically, after the meeting, Agarak turns aside to you and says, um, I have been dealing the best I can with the sort of warriors these people have to offer. Those people, Glory Wake, that we assisted we're dead weight. Yeah, and I think I know it is safe to say that we saved them. Now, it is your duty as ruler to establish that. I'm more than willing to walk alongside you as second in command. If someday it is the case that I am to claim the throne from you in fair and honest combat is the case. But at a time like this, I understand and recognize my superior. So how how are our people holding up? Our people will always thrive on combat, and they have found a worthy opponent. They've done well to fight them, but we have lost many. Not as many as they have lost. Such is the way, the blood throne. Such is the way of orcs. And with that he kind of looks to the distance as he does so very proudly. And then looks back to you and says, I think it is time that we make it known that we are not simply confined to an island. And while your brother was a fool with his efforts, honker, I think you have the actual power to do so. I have strange feelings about the Azkabellans. I do not know too much about them. But I know that they make up the majority of this army. And if they chose to do so, they could probably take over our forces as well as anybody else's if they just so please. And yet, where is their war leader? Where is their king? I've not seen him That's... anywhere. So you haven't seen him at all yet? Yet he's you supposed speak to him. be here? I mention him in meetings, but frankly, I find these meetings to be pathetic. I'd rather be training with my men and the warriors rather than hanging out here speaking of planning what to do, food, resources. My food is that which I kill and that which I pillage. They shall stay full because I am strong. Gigachad. Agarak, just Agachad. <laughs> He's just like, <laughs> I cannot be defeated. But, yeah. Well... 
Maybe with us placing our banner, we can claim it for our own. He says, perhaps. But I think if we are too much of a threat, those of Ascabellum we... will put us into our place. I agree. It's not a matter of a lack of will or strength. It is surely a matter of population. For every one orc, there are ten men of Ascabellum. So it's an even match. <laughs> he says one could say so. But unfortunately, I want our victories to be dramatic. And I think we need to work with the Azkabellans for now. For now. Someday, and... we will be glorious leaders of many lands. And with a very very awkward and knowing nod stares at you and just says someday they will recognize but yeah maybe so with that he says I'll show you to the troops I think it would be good if they see their leader perhaps you can rough them up a bit show them why you're in charge agreed we should train and with that, he'll lead you off to some of the orc camps. Again, in some of the housing out there, but it doesn't seem like many of the orcs have put in the same effort that the people of Glory Wake have. Almost juxtaposed, it, it's like the orcs are so about function that like a lot of the houses don't have windows or doors. And instead, it's just like there's a house where they keep the meat and a house that's where they keep the bread. And like they just, it's so painfully like just <laughs> simplistic. Like, yeah. The orcs you always understand. know where the food is. <laughs> yeah, right. Like, this is. But, okay. So, with that, Jerzak and his uh, second in command, Agarak, begin sparring with some of the men, providing pointers and discussing war plans. Yeah. Jerzak will, like, pull out all the stops, like, teleporting around behind them and stuff, and just, like. Do, doing some of the creepy Jarzak stuff too, just like throw down a bubble of darkness and just walk in. Shout out, who's stepping in? Brings <laughs> up a bug. They're like, what the fuck did you just do? <laughs> There's more where that came from. More where that came from. Hey, they they gotta know why I'm in charge. Because <laughs> yeah, right. hey, well, yeah. Because this is Bugs. this is a world where you just challenge the leader to battle to the death, and I want to make sure none of none of them want to. <laughs> I mean, for what it's worth, Angarak came right out and said, "Someday he's probably going to challenge you for the throne." So whatever that's worth to you, your second in command openly told you that if it wasn't for wartime and you being in charge, he's like, "Someday I may be stronger than you, and I hope to see you in the pit." So. That should be a little alarming. And that but, is why know. he's second in command. Because no one else would do that. <laughs> okay. It's the orc way. So I guess I guess that leaves the uh the bell of the ball. Oh Miss Clica Terbilius. Here we go. That's good. Only an intelligence save. Alright. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Okay, so what would you like to do? At yeah, this point, I... the meeting has just ended. Everybody sort of breaks off in their little groups, and you can see the steward immediately turns tail and heads back towards the way where you guys stayed before and some of those fancy little apartments in the tower with the right. weird illusion rooms. 
Yeah, I mean, like, Liga wants to probably... Can I track down Aldo? Yeah, Aldo's, like, right next to you. He thinks the whole story <laughs> you told was hilarious, so he's just sitting there waiting for you. Excellent. Yeah, Klika starts to look around. <laughs> Aldo is slightly startled to find him. Standing yeah, that's, that's how I imagined it, too. Just, ah, I need to find Aldo. Just, just um, right there, like, nose directly in her eye. <laughs> hey! Chewing loudly on some candy. Oh, um, Aldo... Would you happen to have any way to turn Klika invisible or anything like that? Right, he just looks very confused. And uh doesn't really Temporarily, know not him. forever. Oh <laughs> <laughs> really really quiz that one up. <laughs> um and so with that he just sort of uh Shrugs his shoulders and he says, I'm not certain I could do that for you. Why exactly do you need to be invisible? Mm, well, Klinka wants to go see what uh, King Theroni is actually doing. And she doesn't think the steward's gonna give her a straight answer. With that, he just sort of nods a couple times with a very like agreeing uh, little stance to him, and he says, "Yeah, I gotta be honest with you. I don't really like him." Yeah, Klika got kind of picked up that most people here don't. It also seems like he doesn't like most people here, and that's why Klika kind of wants to find out if anything's going on. Well, how exactly are you planning on doing that? Well, if his eyes bulge out, he's like, oh, invisible. Invisible, yeah. That would have been, that would have been plan number one. Now, Klika is going to move on to plan number two. Do you have anything that will turn Klika into an egg court? Also temporarily. (laughs) Um, and so with that, uh, he says, well, no, but I do have an interesting trick I could show you if you can hold your breath for a long time. How long is a long time? Eight hours. Oh. <laughs> let me let me try and then I'll get back to you. And Klika starts trying to hold her breath for eight hours. Oh, that he just kind of taps her a couple times. And he says, Klika. Klika, stop. Klika can can still hear when she's holding her breath. For a second, he looks around, holds his breath, and then he (laughs) looks very confused. And then he's like, oh, that's right. He says, I can help you, but I want you to understand that I had nothing to do with this. Let's maybe go to my room. Do you still have candy there? Of course. He pulls one out of his pocket. It's got some grass stuck to it. He eats it. He blows at it with a very, very wet, spittily blow. (laughs) And it looks like none of the grass goes away, but it gets a new dusting of spit. And he's like, here you go. 
just, I guess these of casting mending will get rid of the grass and the dust. Yeah. It it's butterscot. Um, and so with that, he uh leads you through the uh the passageway there, and you enter sort of that uh weird tiered balcony style like mall looking system with all the different doorways that lead to the different chambers there. And he leads you to one of the closer ones to where you were. And he opens the door, and before you is a chamber that looks sort of like uh, a damp forest. Uh, there's a bed, seems to be made out of moss, on a large rectangular-shaped tree trunk. And he says, well, this is my room. Uh, I'm afraid the best I could do for you is uh, this. So with that, he holds his hands up, puts one of them onto your forehead, and as he does so, he pushes you back. And as you crash into what appears to be the illusory wall, you melt into it very slowly in a wet slurping way, as if stepping boot into like the thickest, gloopiest mud you've ever felt. Mm. And as you do so, you meld in with the wall. And as you meld in with the stone wall, he sort of uh, tries to talk to you. But again, in the same way he tried to when you're holding your breath, he says, but all you can hear is like, Excellent. Okay, can I move? He was an idiot for yelling. <laughs> he was just one, he was just one step ahead of you. <laughs> yeah. yeah, in the in this position, you can move. Okay, I guess I'll try and wall walk in and head towards where the king is staying. Okay, so here's the tricky part. While merged with the stone, you're really not going to be able to leave the stone or else it'll wear off. So your trip is going to be very, very complicated as you're going yeah. to be like climbing over doorways. So it's going to take you a long and painful time to do so. And so as the process of like four painful hours of shimmying over door <laughs> frames and everything on this very painful and convoluted trip, according to the spell to get down there. Yeah, Eventually, muttering about reach... how they made all the doors too big. Clink is the biggest, and she can fit through the door. They should stop there. Just starts going under it instead. Yeah. But eventually, you come across a certain area where you see the steward, um, Dalton, start sort of walk out of one of the doorways and start walking down the hall right past you as if he doesn't notice you whatsoever. Great. Uh, yeah, as soon as he passes, Clicka will, I guess, head into the room he just came out of. Okay. Still clinging to the stone in the wall? For now, yeah. Okay. And so, as you sort of just turn around in the stone, you look into the chamber, and you can see that the room itself looks not unlike uh, an Azkabellan sort of like, I don't know what one of those very open floor plan styled things that looks out over the ocean uh, mm -hmm. with a very gentle warm breeze barely touching your weird little gobo nose that's sticking through the wall just a little bit. And as you stand there, <laughs> all kinds of creepy in the stone, um, <laughs> you can barely hear what's happening on the other side. It looks like you see um, King Theroni sitting at a chair, sitting at the table, drinking some wine and looking out at the illusory ocean coming in gently down below the uh, balcony where he's sitting. And for another hour or so, you just sit there sitting and waiting and watching him drinking. 
when finally Dalton walks back and walks back into the room. And as he does so, and he walks into the chamber, I'm going to need you to roll a perception check. And this is going to be at disadvantage. I didn't need it anyway. I got a five. Dropped a 19, though. Nice. So with that, two of them seem to have something of a conversation back and forth. And as you're attempting to listen in and hear the best you can, you can tell that Theroni is very dismissive. Looking at his sort of muscle movements here and his gestures, he dismisses Dalton on multiple occasions and sort of yells at him. Um, and it seems like he is very emotionally perturbed, you know? But whatever it is he's trying to say, it's hard to really make out for sure. But Dalton at one point just grabs a couple of bottles of booze off of one of the tables here, starts fixing himself a drink, drinks a few glugs, and then sits down on one of the little lay-down couches, takes a quick nap. So Klika stands there, wondering what she's done with her life, really. Well, uh, do I want to just pop out or not? No, I guess. When you're standing there and just kind of hanging out, contemplating, King Theroni lifts a finger up, starts snapping his finger. All of a sudden, the steward walks over, leans in, and you see them sort of whisper something into his ear with a couple of knowing nods. Gets up, takes his drink, and the steward sits back down on the couch. This time, not laying down, but sitting straight up. Looks a little bit more rigid and robotic when he does. Uh, I don't know. I don't really want to cause a fucking international incident here. <laughs> but, yeah, Klika will, um, I guess, step, move away from them and step out of the wall and then go to the, uh, out, like, outer door and, like, I, Move away from the room and step out of the wall. So I'm like in the hallway and then move okay. to the door and make her presence known. Through the door of the king. Yeah. So as you depart the wall, the door swings open and the steward walks out before you even have a chance to walk over there. And he looks and sees you in the hall and he says, oh, what a surprise. Can I help you? Um, yeah, Kleeka was just hoping maybe she could meet with the king. I know he's not doing well emotionally, but Kleeka's worried about him and was hoping we could talk. In the most insulting way possible, and this is something I imagine probably cuts deeply into Kleeka, the steward takes a knee to be at eye level with Klika and says, it's awfully kind of you to be that concerned with the king, but he wouldn't be in charge if he needed the help of you in order to deal with his feelings. He's in charge of many, many people, and that is a lot of responsibility. I know you two are responsible for much, but I don't think you understand what he's dealing with. So, give him the space and respect he deserves. Thank you, Goblin. And he stands back up, sort of brushes off his knee as he does. And he stares back down at you. Should Kleeka kill this man? Uh, yeah. All right. 
<laughs> Good goal. Head out. And as you start heading out, he says, Oh, and by the way, um, I'd recommend you don't do that sort of thing again. No. Click it just walks off. As the words kind of hang stale in the air. I think that's where we're going to end it. Hey everyone, I want to thank you all for listening to another episode of the podcast. It really means a lot to me to have everybody listening in. And if you have anything you'd like to say, any comments or anything like that, shoot me a tweet over at YGrognard on Twitter, or you can even send me an email at younggrognard at gmail.com. I look forward to everything you guys have to say, and it's always a pleasure to engage with anybody listening to the show. And as always, be sure to keep things... Dungeons. Dungeons.